0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it.
1: Now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. We have a guest coming up who is walking a pathway that is very near and dear to my heart. Amitha Kalachandran is a physician and she's also a journalist. She does freelance journalism and this takes me back to when I was in college and that intersection of the journalistic eye and practicing medicine, that's a really powerful intersection and it's going to be really interesting to talk about that but she's also coming to talk about a piece that she wrote in the Boston Globe that that landed and it landed hard. It's a piece around the impact of bullying in medicine and so When this one landed, we all read it. We all had our own responses, and so I reached out to her, I think, probably 20 minutes after I finished reading it, and so she's going to come on the show, and we're going to get into what she found and and how we're going to move through this. Before we get to the conversation, just want to invite all of you, please come and check out the website, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find the entire archive there. You can find our four pillows of learning there. There's just incredible evergreen content with so many wonderful guests. And I would invite everyone to go and please take a look around. We go all the way back to 2015. And those conversations are just as good as the day they were recorded. You can find me on Twitter at ETS show. You can email me anytime, Mark at explore and you can find the show on all of your favorite platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, please subscribe and please leave us a rating and a review. That's the most powerful tool that we have to help bring podcasts forward. So if there's a podcast that you like, whether it's explore the space or any other podcast, please give a subscription, please give a rating and a review because that's what brings those podcasts forward so that other people can find them. So let's get into this conversation. This might or might not be an easy one. I think it's going to have some bumps. It's going to have some bruises, but it's a conversation that we need to have. Amitha, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Thanks for inviting me.
1: So you are based in the frigid north. You're in Canada. You are a physician. You're a pediatrician in training. And you are also a freelance journalist, which is just, it's too good. And we could spend our whole time talking about all the wonderful stuff that you get to see and do. Not just in the hospital, but also when you have a press credential and and the uh, the sort of access that that affords you. But you wrote this incredible article, and this is where I want to start. And we're going to start with the article that came out in the Boston Globe, and it was published on March fifteenth of twenty nineteen. The title is provocative in the extreme. In America, becoming a doctor can prove fatal. We're not going to boil the ocean. We're going to dissect this a little bit, but this was a monster article when you were writing this article, were there moments where you were thinking to yourself, this is a monster and I'm going to have to respond in kind because this is going to be a thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I've been reporting on this topic for a while in terms of gathering research and, um, reading around it and really trying to understand why this happens and why it's been happening for so long. Um, in medicine, but I never fully really understood how it would potentially resonate with so many people, which it did. I think my my focus was on making sure that the story was told fairly, that it was told, um, you know, with with some analysis. Uh, and yeah, again, I was I I had no idea that the response would be so big from both the medical community and um, outside of the medical community.
1: I want to kind of look for some shared experience. So, if you don't mind, can I kind of tell you? Because I didn't tell you this when we were kind of walking through getting the scheduled and all of that, how it landed on me as a practicing physician, as somebody who went through the hamster wheel of medical training and and did all of those things. Is that okay? Can I kind of just share a little bit? Yeah. As I read it, what occurred to me was that there were things that happened that I took as normal and didn't actually realize that in retrospect, that person was totally bullying me and was totally trying to intimidate me and absolutely trying to coerce me to get me to perform or behave in a certain way. This was never anything that for me at the time crossed any boundaries in terms of illegality or anything, but it was just around conduct. It was, if I was to say something, it was the way that I was told to not. If I was to bring something up, It was the way I was told to redirect. And the biggest one that stands out is out of nowhere, I remember being bullied simply from where I was from. Um, When I was a medical student, an attending out of nowhere just absolutely came at me in public when there was a series of wildfires in California that caused huge power outages. There were rolling blackouts and it actually led to the governor of of the state of California getting recalled. It was a huge controversy and he absolutely blew me out of the water. And I have, I still to this day, have no idea why it was one of the most intimidating and frightening things that has ever happened. And as a medical student, that power imbalance is such you, you just can't say anything. You just kind of take the punches. Mm -hmm. It never clicked for me. I swear to God, it never clicked for me until I read your piece. And so for that, thank you. It helped me get some closure on that because I had felt really uncomfortable ever since I was a third year medical student when that happened. Mm -hmm. I have no idea if that attending is still in practice. I do not remember their name, but man, it it was like, oh my God, no wonder I still felt so uncomfortable. That was horrible. Mm -hmm. Have you had responses like that? Uh, Is that sort of, when you talk about the response that you've gotten, is that, is the way I felt when I read your story, is that unique? Or are there other people that are like, hey, kind of me too, this is not correct.
0: Yeah, no, I I mean, and first of all, I mean, just saluting you for, 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 you know, for acknowledging that and and remembering how and, and sharing that so publicly, with you know, in terms of what you what you faced, clearly, those types of incidents stay with you. Um, you know, over years, and certainly, I've had it's it's been shocking. I've had um, you know, responses on Twitter. I've had I my direct messages were open for for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I had responses <laughs> to that. Right. I had responses on LinkedIn. I had people look me up on Facebook. Um, you know, there was a lot, and I think what was, one of the things that was really surprising was I had expected to hear from a lot of, um, trainees, you know, that were currently in training and I did, but I was shocked at how many people reached out who had finished their training in like the eighties, you know, um, in the seventies, even people that, that have been long retired that have come forward and said, you know, this is my story. There was one, one individual who, um, who came forward and told me that he, he experienced such severe bullying during his intern year that, um, you know, he went back to medical school and, and asked to be, um, reassigned, uh, somewhere else for, for residence. And he was quite forthright with me. He said, you know, if that didn't happen, you know, if I wasn't able to get out, then I don't even know what, what could have happened or if I'd even be around today, um, so it's, it was it's uh, a really
1: interesting thing though, yeah. when you're a journalist, and as I as I was hearing myself describe that, I want to be very careful. I think when we talk about these things, we don't want to – it's difficult. You don't want to say one is worse than the other. I am – I have enough self-awareness to know that what I experienced is a drop in the bucket compared to a lot of the stories that you told. I'm sharing just kind of how it resonated for me. I'm not trying to say that what I experienced is even close to some of the horrendous things that you A, lay out in your story and B, I can only imagine what you, what you had to – kind of deal with as people kind of confessed and, and had their cathartic moment in talking with you, were you prepared for that as a journal, you're you're a physician, you're a journalist, you're not a psychotherapist, you're not a psychiatrist, but there is that interesting thing that I think happens with a lot of journalists where there is that sort of, there is that overlap. Were you ready to kind of absorb what you had to absorb and, and be receptive and be supportive? Was that, was that easy for you or was it a challenge?
0: It was definitely a challenge, but I think it's it's it, what's interesting in journalism is, and I tell this to to a lot of my physician friends, is, is it's very, very similar, and you would know this as a former journalist, very similar to medicine in many ways. And one of the things that's really similar is that um, when you have a conversation with someone, so in medicine it would be with a patient, in journalism it would be with a the source, there is that balance of being receptive and being empathetic, and trying to stay objective and and having boundaries and that balance isn't always easy to maintain no but it is similar and yeah. so i would draw you know if anything when i for any story really that gets that feels very emotional i would do what i would you know do in medicine which is you know personally i think it's okay to show to show empathy and to show vulnerability but also to just be present for that person's story and not be drawn into it to the point where it's just in becomes like ineffective communication.
1: That's really interesting. Um, so you're able to leverage that same skill that we use as physicians, that sort of, you know, appreciative inquiry and then kind of that, the, the listening, the empathy, but being able to keep those boundaries up so that you don't become overwhelmed by the number of things and the depth of things that you're then hearing.
0: Definitely. And I think that it's, you know, and and also similar to medicine is that when you hear difficult, you know, you know, when you're when you're having a difficult conversation, which this would be classified as is it's a difficult difficult conversation, also recognizing how much agency you have, um, in listening to this, like, can you actually make a difference? And in many of these cases in journalism, you can't, you may not be able to make a specific difference in, in one person's life, but you can raise awareness about the issue in general, which could have a ripple effect, not just for that person, but also, um, for others into the future.
1: So the response that you got from people who read the article clearly was massive I'm actually quite curious though. You have an editorial team at the Boston Globe. You have an editor that you speak with. You have the whole team there. What did they think? A, when they read the piece, because obviously they you know, they commissioned you to do it. They brought you aboard to come write this piece. But what did they think of the response, right? On this podcast, we like to look at both sides of the healthcare equation. We like to look at people who are trying to provide care. But we also look at people who are trying to access care at some point in their life, which is everybody. So mm-hmm. at the Boston Globe, it's more a mixture of people on, that, on the side of the equation of people who want to learn about healthcare and want to learn about what it's like because they're going to need to access it if they're not already doing so. What did they have to say? When they read this, mm-hmm. Was that were they aghast? Were they like, yeah, no, I, we we're not surprised. Where, where was that response?
0: Yeah. So I worked with a really wonderful editor, Rachel Slade, who's, who's a, an excellent writer in her own right, by the way. And when I first pitched the story to her, she was fascinated and she, um, and, and her personal experience, she, she's not in medicine, but she has family medicine, family members in medicine and that sort of thing. And so I think, I don't know if she, if she had heard about this issue per se, but she definitely knew that the culture, medical culture is very unique.
1: So <laughs> unique. Did she use yeah. that word "unique" or did yeah, she? have a, I, think, I don't know.
0: If she said the word yeah, "unique." Yeah. Definitely could see had first hand hand experience yeah. knowing that there were you know you know again unique unique aspects right. in medical school that are very different than in other workplaces. Do you think that's why she uh, wanted
1: the story because she had that insight and was like, okay, well, let's let's pull the pool cover back and look at the water underneath, or?
0: Uh, maybe something? i mean i don't yeah. think it was just her her decision she was you know there's there's a big editorial team and and, sure. and other editors that she reports to as well but but she has um you know she knew that this would be something that could uh resonate with with people and hasn't and more importantly that it wasn't a story that has been done um i know that there's been some opinion opinion articles and that sort of thing online yeah. about bullying but in but not done in a way that sort of um, reporting, but also, um uh, analysis and, um, and, and that sort of thing. So I think that she was interested for those reasons.
1: I like that um, you bring that up and let me share why, mm-hmm. what you've done here with this article is important for a lot of reasons, but the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest is that you crossed over. And this is something that on social media, I've been talking with people about a lot because it's really crystallized for me that in medicine, in healthcare, We're good writers. We do amazing research. We are thoughtful, introspective, and creative, and we write a lot. What we don't do is cross that information over where it is widely accessible so that we can then go on a shared journey with anyone who is interested. We put all of our stuff into journals that no one reads. So they disappear into, I like to call it PubMed hell, or they (laughs) go behind a paywall. And so no one sees them. This article was about healthcare, it's about physicians, medical students, nurses, everyone that's involved. But you 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 crossed over so that anyone can see it. You don't even have to have a Boston Globe subscription to read it. You get 5 free articles a month. That was smart. Why did you do that? Why did you why did you say I want to put this in the Boston Globe as opposed to something maybe in the New England Journal or the Lancet or you know, ACP or something like that. Why did you say I'm going to go to the other side?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think just the style of um, article. I mean, uh, you know, the New England Journal, for example, has a great. I think it's called a perspective column, where, yes. where they discuss topical issues. Yeah. Um, this and would I have think been perfect them, for that.
1: This would have been absolutely some of them perfect.
0: are some of them are open access. They don't typically have. It's not typically reporting where there'd be quotes and that sort of thing. And I think it sure. was important for me to to be able to include perspectives of people that were experts um, in their own words. So that was, I think, one of the reasons. The second reason was that I felt that this was a story and an issue that would it really everybody is touched by this issue, yes. whether you're in medicine um, or healthcare in general, or whether you're a patient. And as you, you sort of alluded to um, just in your show in general, you recognize that every listener is, falls under one or both of those categories. And the fact is the stakes, the stakes are high, right? So (laughs) if if you, if you're a patient, um, knowing that you could go into a hospital that, you know, forget even bullying. I mean, bullying, bullying is an important issue, but, but it is a big, and it's a, a slice of, you know, broader issue, which is culture. Um, and there's been really good research that's found, you know, specifically by Amy Edmondson, who's, you know, really looked at like the impact of, of, you know, culture in, in hospitals and how that can really tra- trickle down to affect patient outcomes. So specifically, you know, when psychological safety is low, you know, that, you know, patient outcomes are often not very good and people are less likely to speak up, you know, if they think that a medical error is about to happen. So there's a common source there and bullying is often a result of other other dynamics that are happening in, in the workplace. So I don't think people wake up one day saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a cardiologist and I'm also excited to be a bully today. You know, I think that they, that they you know, yeah. that's sort of a, a reaction that is, is one that is um, a result of a variety of, of forces.
1: That's a um, really interesting point, And I want to pick up on that a little bit because what you, I don't know the answer to this question. And I, I think that we're going to learn this as we go forward is that people in medicine or anywhere else, when they're in that silo. And they behave in a certain way. So whether it's, you know, a, a nurse or a physician, and let's be very clear, right? This article is about physicians who are demonstrating disruptive behavior and bullying behavior. I would mm-hmm. suggest that you could look anywhere in healthcare and you can find administrators who demonstrate this, you could find nurses, you could find anyone. It's basically when there's a power differential, we're at risk for this to happen. Mm-hmm. But you raise a really interesting question that is there something about our workspace and our workplace? That gives people who would never dream potentially of behaving a certain way outside the hospital credo and credence to then do it. I, I have seen things happen in the hospital setting where if they happened on the street, people would square off. Where if someone spoke to someone like that on the street, if, if let's say uh, uh, two nurses are having a conversation and one said something and I've seen this happen and their spouse happened to be standing there or they just were standing outside of a restaurant, they would have words. It wouldn't end right there, right? It's it's incredibly rude and crude and crass behavior. Is there something that we need to look at from a really high peak, from a really lofty level to say there's something that's triggering this? Do you have, I mean, as you were talking to all of these different people, is there something about our workspace and our workplace that is allowing this more, less, or equal than in the rest of society?
0: Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think that I would answer that um, by sort of stepping back. A little bit so i think that this issue is um so if we're to focus on on bullying i think bullying is everywhere yeah and specifically in hospitals and in medical training environments i think i think you'll always find places you know i don't, I can't i don't think you can find anywhere that's completely bully free that that's said a good point. that's um, a good point yeah that said and to you like i did epidemiology before i did medical school and there's this term called hot spots. so when you have a you know, a disease, like, I don't know, TB or something like that, or malaria, malaria is probably a better, a better uh, example, but you may have, you know, it may be um, endemic in a certain area of the world, but there may be hotspots in, in, in certain places. So places that are just where it's just more common, where if you stepped into that um, environment, you're, you'll be more likely to contract the disease versus like other places. So I think that there are hot spots and that's you know, when I mentioned specifically in residency, like what's known colloquially as like malignant programs, so I think that there it, it's everywhere, <laughs> but but it may be more common. I'm laughing other
1: ruefully because yeah,
0: yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> I think everyone I think, is kind of going, "Oh my god, you're, yes, yeah. The, yeah, that that's and a that good just, shout," and you're right.
0: But to but to answer your question about specific factors, I I think that um you know if we were to, and and I almost find like it's it's almost. Like if you look at bullying as like a disease, and and the hospital or a program as like an organism, for example, you, you know, just like in in medicine, you're looking at, you know, what are the external factors and what are the internal factors, and and where is there sort of an imbalance beh- between supply and demand of, you know, and all of that, all of those sorts of little factors. So I think that one one aspect is, you know, in medicine, and particularly if we're if we're talking about like residency training programs. Depending on where you go, um, the leadership is is structured differently, and and you know physicians are not usually trained formally in how to lead or how to manage people. So that's one thing. So if you have a, a an institution or a program where the leadership is such that there is less of a, a priority placed on creating healthy workplaces where everyone can thrive, where where diversity, not just ethnic or gender diversity, but also diversity of ideas. You know, which we often don't think about. Like we, we should accept. We don't have to agree with one another, but we should accept that people learn differently, people understand things differently, people see the world differently. And the more that we understand that, the better we are able to serve our diverse pers- uh, patient population. But unfortunately, in 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 places that don't value that, people that are sort of different than than the norm can be targeted. So, so I think leadership is a big part of that. Um, because it, it just sort of all trickles down. I think health systems aspects. So, you know, a, a lot of people talk about this is sort of burnout and there's controversy in just using the term burnout. But for, for simplicity, you know, we, you know, we are more burnt out than, you know, staff physicians are more burnt out than than they may have been 10 years ago. part of that may have to do with, um, you know, different models of care now with EMRs, all of that sort of thing. Um, and so one of the first signs of burnout is, is how someone treats another person, you know, and and we we can all we can all sort of resonate with this. So if, for example, for me, I know that if I'm sleep deprived, I'm more likely to to you know be less patient with someone that I care about. And it's not about them, it's about the fact that I haven't, you know, fulfilled my cup and I have just too much stress on me. And so in the healthcare context, if there's more pressure that you know, if people can't handle the additional pressure, they're more likely to take that out or take that stress out in um in unhealthy ways. And that's often by, you know, focusing on people that they that are easy targets and really lashing out and, and bullying. So I think that's that's the second thing. And related to that is I think, you know, and, and we often don't talk about this when we when we think about burnout and, and resilience is really to in, in a lot of places people are not they're not valued for for their own sort of passions or their own interests or, or or those interests are not always fostered. So the reason why I think that's important is, you know, you have a podcast, I, I do journalism. A lot of doctors have these other interests and hobbies that they work hard to maintain, not just because it's they're fun and they're and they're um and they're valuable, but they also just help reinforce and help give meaning to to the work that we do, which I think then goes back as sort of a buffer against, you know, things like um, things like burnout. And then I think the last thing is that a lot of places don't have strong policies. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of programs may have a, a very blanket anti bullying policy it says, you know, don't bully people or whatnot. But a lot of people don't understand, well, what does bullying mean? Like, we understand that it could mean, you know, throwing a scalpel at someone but often it's the insidious types of bullying um, that are the issue and then as a result like what what are people supposed to do like can are they protected from reprisal if they report what about bystanders like are there incentives to allow bystanders to um, report unhealthy you know behaviors in the workplace um, so so i think it's multifactorial and certainly i think in in medicine unlike in, in a lot of other workplaces just by the virtue of um, it being such a unique profession that really hasn't changed a whole lot in, in centuries, really, um, in terms of the hierarchy and, and the norms, I think it's just more prone to it.
1: So there's times where, as the host of this show, we get to a part where a guest who is exceptionally bright and talented, who's done something important kind of just, we get into their sweet spot and I just get to honestly close my eyes and just put my brain into a place of relaxed receptivity and just soak it in. And that was extraordinary. Uh, You laid out things that I had not thought about and I appreciate that. You also helped me to realize something that I think is really important. uh, And that's that issue of that sort of behavior may be indicative of someone who's actually really struggling. And I have an example that I'll share of that. I had a friend and a claw and a colleague, this was years ago who I called him to come and do a consult on a patient in the hospital. And he just went off and he was swearing at me and, and all of this. And you know, the conversation finally ended with him, you know, kind of slamming the phone down. I'll see the patient, blah, blah, blah. And I called him that night, you know, after we were both home from work and I'm like, what the hell, man, I'm your friend. You can't talk to me like that. What, what, what on earth possessed you to think that was okay? And we then proceeded to have almost an hour-long conversation where he said, you know, Mark, I'm, I'm actually really uh, really frustrated in my work, and I'm really struggling, and I apologize, and I'll take ownership of that, and that was totally inappropriate, and I'm really sorry. And it became like a, a cementing moment for our friendship. And for me, it was hard because I'm, I'm not good at standing up to things like that. I certainly didn't do it when I was a medical student and had people yelling at me and swearing at me. But but for him, I think it was also cathartic to be able to really give voice. I'm really struggling. I hate my job. I'm miserable. I hate being on call. I'm tired. And and I think that was really important. You just wireframed your book. So the good news is, is this is recorded and we'll publish it and you can then go back. And you've now got your, you've got five chapters of your book that you just, des- that you just described. You just put a lot out there and we we don't have the whole morning to do a six part podcast, though. I kind of wish we did. Let's let's move though at least to levers. Let's move to for people who've read this article and for people who've now heard you kind of provide that three-armed approach of the the eyes of an epidemiologist which I thought was brilliant, the eyes of a doc and the eyes of a reporter and there, there there's overlap, the Venn diagram has some overlap but there's also some really unique components. Let's look at levers. For the individual, for the person who is hearing this and is having their own response and who read the article and is having their own response, are there tools, is there low-hanging fruit for people to be able to move the needle, whether it's at their institution, whether it's for themselves as an individual? And this is tough, right? Journalists don't give medical advice, but doctors do. Do you have a – is there a way in which you can navigate that tension and, and provide help when people are reaching out or suggestions or best practices.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the first is, is related to what you, what you just talked about, which is, um, compassion. And I yeah. think that's, it's self-compassion for oneself. So validating the fact that if, if you're someone that's, that's facing this personally to know that you're not alone. And I hope yeah. that that article really, um, hopefully drills that point home. Yeah. Um, and, and also, and this is the heart, this is really hard. And I've, I've done meditation courses, and, and I often find this to be the hardest part is trying to have compassion for the people that are doing the bullying. And that's an ongoing practice because it's, it's not natural. But what I will say is that it does remove some of that power. Um, because, you know, the general default is if you are someone that is a victim of bullying, or you're experiencing that on day to day basis, it's quite depleting. And it's, you know, the opposite of inspiring, you're probably not able to concentrate, you're not able to do a whole bunch of things, you probably don't feel pretty crummy. But I think, trying to reframe that is, you know, why is that person behaving that way? Like, I wonder what's, you know, I wonder what's happening in their life, or what has happened to them, that has resulted in them feeling that they can treat another person this way. And a lot of that, is intergenerational trauma which i discuss in in the article a little bit too is a sort of perpetuating cycle that they may have been treated that way so they they feel like it's okay to treat someone else that way
1: i think we have so having in medicine a little bit. in spades i think that that's a very yeah. important thing yeah
0: mm-hmm. so having a little bit of compassion so i think that just sort of in the in the immediate moment i think those are really really helpful and, and obviously if if there are symptoms of you know anxiety depression which would all be totally normal responses and i think that sometimes when you think of things like anxiety or depression we we there are cases where those are abnormal or pathological responses to a normal situation like you might be anxious about a spider or something and that that's not normal but there are a lot of instances where those are actually normal human responses if you are being bullied on a day-to-day basis and you are feeling sad or you are having trouble sleeping or you can't concentrate all those symptoms of depression or you're feeling anxious those are all normal responses to something that's actually a very abnormal um, situation so so making sure that you have the resources so social support someone that you can you can trust that you can speak to obviously um like a psychiatrist or psychologist that you can speak to as well. Those are all really important again, sort of for the for the immediate person that's that's dealing with this. And then just panning out a little bit, I think all of us something as, as big as something as important as bullying and as, as widespread is can be quite overwhelming when we think about okay, how as an individual, whether you're a trainee or a staff physician or even a patient um, that may be witnessing this, like how how on earth are, are we supposed to put a stop to it when it's something that's clearly been going on for many, many years? And to that I would say, you know trying to find the one, you know, corner that you can actually make a difference. And that could be anything from being a listening ear to someone, if, if you're a staff physician, if, if there's a trainee that, that wants to confide in you, you know, being, being someone that can advocate for that person. Um, if you have The privilege of being in a leadership position where you can actually affect change, either through policy, um, you know, or uh, ensuring that there are um, effective reporting measures. Those are all really small steps that can actually make a difference um, in the long run. And as a patient, as well, you know, I think, you know, it'll affect your care. If you're, if your doctor, you know, if you're often, often it's the trainee doctors that are responsible for a lot of the care. And if they're not able to concentrate because of these external environmental things and you're noticing that, or you're picking up on that, you know, talk about it. You know, you can ask the resident, like, is everything okay? If you witness something Um, speak up Um, and there are ways for patients to speak up about, about their care as well. So I think that recognizing that all of us has a unique ability to, you know, all of us have, have a little bit of power. We might not be able to make all of the change ourselves, but little steps can actually um, have bigger ripple effects down the road.
1: That's all incredibly compelling. And I, 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 I think it's great that you're able to articulate it and just sort of and, and put it out there so vividly. One thing that I would add, too, for people who are in that place where they really feel like they don't have any agency and have concern about where, where they can go or what they can do, especially if you're in training, is pretty much every academic center will have what's called an ombudsperson and that ombudsperson is absolutely – is that's their job is to is conflict mitigation in a confidential fashion and you can reach out to them confidentially and it stays confidential and it does not go in your personnel file and that's what they're there for and so googling the term you know with your your organization or academic center ombuds ombudsperson ombudsman ombudswoman o m b u o o o m b u d s m a n Oh my gosh, that's not right. I just failed the spelling bee. Oh, yeah. anyway, it'll be in the show notes. I, I, I was good at spelling bees, but I remember certain words <laughs> would always trip me up. Scissors always got me and it always made me mad. Um, the, those sorts of things are important and those tools are there. Speaking okay. of tools, you have a lot. You have a lot of tools. You're, you're going to have an interesting path going forward. You flipped a big rock and you're just getting started. So, what are we to look forward to from you as we move through this work, as you move through your training? What sort of things feel provocative and inspiring for you in terms of helping to make all this work that we want to do better?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I still um, I'm trying to navigate through that as, as I mentioned. So, um, right now I'm really enjoying the journalism and and I just find that it's such a great excuse to talk to really interesting people as about interesting things. I'm sure you feel the same way with your podcast. I feel and, um, the
1: same way a hundred percent.
0: So I'm really, really enjoying that. And, yeah. um, yeah. And trying to find a way to do that as well as clinical medicine. I really love teaching. And I think that, you know, one of the things I think we mentioned this earlier is, um, with leadership is that, I think one of the biggest, biggest things that, that we can do to change medicine is to show that there's, there's a different way, you know, in order yeah, to to yeah. break the cycle, we need to show that, you know, this norm that has been, been there for a really long time, this doesn't have to happen. You know, this is not, we can, we can do better. We can make it, you know, if there's, if one day we can make, make it so that the practice of medicine um and the training of trainees in medicine can actually be fulfilling and fun more days than it's depleting and uh depressing. I think that's a really, you know, good goal to have and there's so many ways that we can we can do that. And so really harnessing that sort of leadership. So I'm really interested in in medical education and that in that regard too and I think coming up with creative solutions to that uh would be really important and I and I really like research. I've in maintaining like, you know, my residency research project was, was published in a couple of places. And, um, and I'd really like to continue to, to do research too. So eventually there'll be an ideal mix, I think, but I still haven't figured out, uh, what that's going to look like. And that's, and that's okay with me. I think life, life is a journey and sometimes we just have to be open to, to what's possible.
1: You're very much in that pluripotent stage And I would just really encourage you stay in that place. You don't need to, you know, have final determination. As you say, you're on a journey, you'll figure out what the priorities are and you'll figure out what the real fuel is, but stay pluripotent, man. You've got all the tools this is just an incredibly exciting journey. How do people find you? They're going to hear this. They've read the article. They're going to go read the article. It's it's open access. If you're not a Boston Globe subscriber, as an aside, I will encourage everybody to please subscribe to your favorite newspapers. We need to make sure that they have our support so that they can stay in business and keep allowing talented scholars and writers such as yourself to publish articles like this. Uh, that being said, where do people find you? How do they access you? How do they continue to learn from you?
0: Yeah, just just to your point, I I, I want to agree that people should should subscribe and and you know to your local paper to to you know any paper that you feel resonates with you. Um, the Boston Globe specifically, I think, has done. I mean, if it, if everyone, most people probably have seen the movie Spotlight, but you know they've really. Done quite a lot in terms of um, using journalism to really make make real change, particularly in in the justice system and and that sort of thing. And and we're seeing journalism and journalists taking on that role more and more now. So again, please support. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I think is probably the best the best place. So it's Dr. Amitha A M I T H A M D. I have a website, but it's really just a a portfolio of my um, articles, and that's linked on my Twitter as well.
1: There's a totally um, different way you can say that. It's an incredibly cool portfolio of all the cool okay. stuff you've written. <laughs> it's not a trivial thing. It's awesome. Absolutely check out the website. It's really good.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, there's lots of different, we were just talking about some of the sports,
1: yeah. sports,
0: sports and health, sports and <laughs> health. Um, yeah, so you good the, stuff. There's a variety of different topics. So Totally. I'm just, I'm just more drawn to wherever there's tension in, um, that, you know, tension there when it comes to like a health or medical issue, um, even as it interacts, intersects with other aspects of our culture, whether it's sports or, you know, tech, etc. that's what I'm more drawn, drawn to. So, you know, my goal is to really ask some of the big questions and and get discussion, get some of the discussion going. So yeah, so the portfolio, but I think connecting with me on Twitter is probably- Probably, probably the best way. Some people found me on LinkedIn. I don't use LinkedIn a whole lot, but that's another way as well.
1: This is fantastic. The article was wonderful. Thank you for writing it. I appreciate you coming on the show and, and laying out so much of your expertise and what you found. And I think you've set the stage for a lot more really interesting scholarship and obviously put in very specific relief a lot of the work that we know we need to do. So thank you so much for coming on the show. This has just been an absolute treat
0: thanks so much for having me and and also for your for your leadership in medicine and and you know and again to show showing the world that that medicine doesn't have to be one way um, and that we can all have multiple um, talents and interests that are fostered in addition to to being healers.
1: I appreciate you saying that medicine is a wonderful profession it's a place for people to come together it's a place for people to express themselves, and part of that expression is to care for other people and that has a lot of meanings it's it's to care for people who are ill it's to care for colleagues who are struggling it's to lead to role model there's a lot to it and it's a wonderful place and we've got a lot of incredibly talented and bright and motivated people to help reshape it into what we all want it to be you're one of those people and i'm grateful for that so thank you
0: oh thanks so much thank you for listening to explore the space visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to Mark at ExploreTheSpaceShow.com.